Happy December. I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem like it's time for December yet, although the weather seems to indicate it is. Well, today we begin a new series looking at some ordinary characters in the Advent story that God used in some extraordinary ways because he himself is an extraordinary God. But as we get started with this series, I believe we need to have a discussion about a word called expectation. Uh, It is the basis behind the meaning of the word Advent is we look forward with expectation to God bringing down to man the Messiah. But when I think about expectation for us as human beings... We have expectations in all sort of things. And today our story in our sermon is going to look at the life of Joseph, uh, the, the legal guardian of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. But I discovered long ago, when it comes to weddings and the wedding day, expectations are rather large for certain people, are they not? I remember a TV show that was on in the late 90s called Friends. And there was a character in that TV show named Monica Geller. And when it was time for Monica to get married, she pulled out a binder that was this thick of everything that had to happen for her wedding day to be perfect. Now, I've also done some premarital counseling of people with different personalities and I'm not going to use names, but some of them came in and they said it has to be exactly this way, this way, this way. Well, not so long ago, 13 years ago, it was my wife and I's turn to get married. And Melissa had some significant expectations of how things would go. For instance, we were going to have a string quartet and it was going to play as people got into the hall or into the sanctuary and got seated. And then it was going to loudly proclaim that there's my bride and she's coming down the aisle. And all was meant to be great. There was just one problem. They started seven minutes early and the bride wasn't ready. The bridal party was still in the back talking. And so instead of this nice, wonderful, relaxing processional, they ran (laughs) up the aisle. And, And so that didn't quite go according to our expectation. But it was okay. It was still fine. And one of the things we had chosen to do as a couple is we really wanted to celebrate communion on our wedding day as a way of saying Christ is central in our marriage. And we want to remember him that it is he who's brought us together. And we thought that would be a great thing. And so we went to a famous bakery in the local area where we got married and bought this wonderful loaf of bread, had the grape juice ready. And my dad was performing the, the wedding ceremony for us, which was very special. And we get up and it's time for communion. And she's beautiful and I'm passable and all is good. And... And my dad looks at me as only my dad can. And the mic isn't on at this point. And he says, Michael, don't worry, but we have no bread. (laughs) And so being the kind of guy I am, I I thought to myself, what can we do? We got to fix it. I am a fixer. And so I looked at my dad and I reached into my tuxedo jacket and I pulled out breath mints called lifesavers. And I said, will this do? And my dad looked and he said, well, we can remember Christ through a breath mint today. 
And so we took communion with a breath mint and grape juice. And have you ever tried to brush your teeth and then drink orange juice? Well, it tastes kind of like that. And then, so part two, again, the wedding didn't quite go according to expectation. There's more. Then we did this thing, you know, you've seen some couples when they drink, they help each other. Don't do that. It's a terrible idea. (laughs) Because I, of course, spilled grape juice on my wife's wedding dress. And she was so gracious. She said, I don't care. I'm still married to you which was the right answer. And then finally, we had gotten married and everything went off and and we were so excited and I had bought Melissa as a wedding gift a mountain bike so that we could ride mountain bikes together, you know, because I wanted to do what I wanted. And, And we were all excited and I'd put them on the roof of my car on a roof rack and we drove up to the hotel that had a carport. Do you know what a carport is? It's a covered area that lets you pull in and drop off your newly married wife and let her in and then you can go park the car well the carport was a seven feet tall with my bikes on it my bike rack was eight and a half feet tall i was very excited to get on with the honeymoon and i drove right through the carport and i ripped off the bikes ripped off a chunk of my roof and all of the roof rack and had to call my dad on my wedding day and say dad would you come get us? <laughs> because we've just destroyed our car. And the car was still drivable, and we went on to have a lovely honeymoon. And our marriage has been wonderfully full of adventure ever since. But did it go according to expectation? Not a little. <laughs> was it memorable? Absolutely. And we love telling those stories. Joseph was presented with a disappointment of expectation of far greater significance. You see, Joseph, as we're told in this story, was betrothed to be married to Mary. Now, betrothal in Hebrew times, that you were married. You were legally bound together. There, there was a waiting time because marriages had been arranged. So Joseph and Mary had been arranged to be married. And what often was the, the case is they would use this time of betrothal. They would really get to know each other, to love one another. But there was to be no sexual union. Okay? They were meant to be spending this learning about one another, about growing together as a couple and honoring God in obedience to his plans for marriage and purity. And so while legally bound together, they had not yet lived together and certainly had not consummated that bond. That would be done at a later time. But in all aspects, Mary was Joseph's wife. And so the expectation for Joseph was a wonderful time of marriage where he would enjoy union with his wife and it would be special and she was his pure and spotless bride. And that was something he would be looking forward to, as would Mary. And Joseph would have been excited about this. His expectation would be great that his wife is indeed pure and prepared for marriage. And that would have been a normal expectation. And then Mary tells him something. Mary says, I'm with child. Well, if you do the math and your wife 
is said to be pure, a virgin, and yet she says you're, she's with child, then there's a problem. And this would have been a massively large problem for someone like Joseph because as we'll find out as we look at this text, Joseph is a righteous man, a God-fearing man, a man that obeyed the Lord and sought to follow God in every area of his life. And so Joseph, before the wedding is consummated, finds out that his very wife, his very betrothed, the love that he is supposed to spend the rest of his life with, as far as he knows, has cheated on him, has broken the bond of marriage, has broken the trust before they were officially joined together for for the rest of their lives. And so what would you do? That is the question that Joseph would wrestle with as a God-fearing man. And I wonder what we would do. And that's what I want us to do today. I want us to look at this idea of expectation of what would have been going on in Joseph's life and what kind of things would he do to consider how do I handle a situation that is nothing like I expected because here's what happens for all of us. We find ourselves making plans and making plans, you've heard me say before, isn't an inherently bad thing. We need to make plans. We have to be organized and we we have to seek to plan ahead but when those plans or when those expectations change how do we respond i used to ask youth groups what do you do when you get bumped well joseph got more than bumped he got kicked and he got kicked hard so how would he respond and that's what i want us to look at today is what would joseph do to respond to the reality that his wife is pregnant with not his child. What would you do, men? If you're supposed to be married to this lovely woman and then she comes and tells you she's pregnant, what are you doing? Well, the very basic, I think I'm done. That's it. I'm not getting married. But we need to back up and understand what Matthew is doing in telling us this account and why this is significant. Because if you read the first 17 verses of Matthew, you read something that's fascinatingly interesting if you research it. But for most of us, let's be honest. We read through it as quickly as we can. It's called a genealogy. Do you know what a genealogy is? A genealogy is a fancy way of saying your family tree. Okay, and so Matthew, who is writing his letter, his gospel account to a Jewish audience, makes sure he's very careful in how he presents his genealogy. And he does it in such a way that lets us see a few things that lets us see one that God has a plan that he used people that were unexpected. Notice that Matthew mentions women. In his account. Normally, genealogies don't mention women, but in this one they did. Matthew also breaks it up in a way that was very traditional to Hebrew culture into sections. And this time he broke it into those sections of 14 that he talks about. But above all, Matthew traces the line of descent back to the kingly line and beyond. So he starts all the way back with Abraham, and he moves forward from there, making sure he highlights King David. 
And as we're told in the Old Testament, King David, from that line would come the Messiah. And so Matthew is very careful to point out to all of the readers that the Messiah was to be born in the line of David. So the first thing we realize that Matthew is teaching us, and Luke says the same thing, is that Joseph was a man of royal descent. What do we know about Joseph as a man himself? Well, if you put the pieces together and Jesus was the carpenter's son, we know that Joseph was a carpenter. Okay. We know that Joseph was a carpenter. But much more than that, as we look at Luke 2, 4, Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. What Matthew takes explicit detail to help us see that Joseph is in line of David. And that is significant. Well, why is it significant, you might ask? Because frankly... If we believe in the virgin birth, which we do, or I I do, and I hope, I mean, I believe God's word to be inherent, or, sorry, inerrant, not inherent, and it is without error, and therefore, I believe when Matthew says that the virgin shall be with child, that's what he meant. Well, how could then Matthew attribute the line of David through Joseph? Well depending on how Matthew would respond or how Joseph would respond to this most unexpected development in his married life, he would become legal guardian of a little baby. And that baby would be part of his family. And he would act as his father. Matthew was presented with a massive, massive choice. What do I do with this seemingly illegitimate child? What am I going to do? Am I going to believe this tale that Mary has told me? How could she? I'm a carpenter and she's just a peasant. How in the world could God make her pregnant? Why would he do that? This would have been just a painful, painful question for Matthew. Because as we read next, we find out that Joseph, I keep saying Matthew and I apologize. Joseph, he was a righteous man. Look at verse 19. He says, Matthew tells us that because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Well, what we're being told there is Matthew wants us to see that Joseph was righteous, not perfect, but he was law-abiding. He was upright in character. He was a good guy, obedient and faithful to God's commandments. So let's pause there for a moment and explore something. If you go back to what we call Levitical law, Hebrew law, and a wife is found to have been unfaithful. What was the punishment? Does anyone know? They would have been stoned to death. Now, in this the first century AD, or in this the first century, that wasn't always the case. It wasn't always practiced. But we hear here that Joseph is a righteous man. A righteous man is a man that obeys the law of God. 
And so Joseph is presented with a most difficult of questions. If I follow the law, there's a good chance Mary must be killed. But if I show mercy, then I don't follow the law. One way or another, a part of this breaks down. So what do I do? Can you imagine being posed with a question like that? Am I supposed to break the law? Because it sure seems like Mary has. Should I divorce her? That would seem the next logical thing to do. There was a provision given by Moses that that would be allowed in cases like this had Mary actually cheated on Joseph. And so the question would have been one of, should there be justice or should there be mercy? And it makes me think that, Matt, that Joseph must have thought of characters like Hosea the prophet. Well, God told Hosea to go back and not only marry a prostitute, but then after she had cheated on him, bring him back into the home. So there's this picture of a merciful God. And you go further back to the story of Abraham and Abraham obeys the Lord, puts his son on the altar and it is only at the last moment that a substitutionary sacrifice is provided. And so these thoughts of do I practice justice or do I give mercy are running rampant in Joseph's mind as he is a righteous man. And you see, he doesn't, he comes to the conclusion that he doesn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace. It demonstrates to me he cared. It demonstrates that he didn't want to pursue every bit of revenge he possibly could for her. And he wanted to follow a righteous path as best he could. But you got to think, he wonder, he's saying to himself, I don't understand that question of God, what are you doing? And so he chooses quietly the path that as far as he can tell, as far as human reason can explain, he chooses the path that seems right to him. So Mary and Joseph got a divorce, right? That's the end of the story. No, it's not. The story continues and we find out a little bit more about Joseph. You see, Joseph was not only a righteous man, but Joseph was a thoughtful man. In verse 20, after he had considered this. Now, when you go back and you look at the intent of the word considered, it's a deep word. It's not just, I thought about it for a second and moved on. It's a word of carefully planned and thought out a response. It's a very rich word and I believe Matthew chose it carefully to show that the decisions that Matthew were making were not coming lightly. Charles Swindoll surmises that not only would Matthew have carefully thought about this, but that likely 
he would have done what most Jewish men at the time would have done when such a massive decision comes, that he likely would have made the trip to Jerusalem and spent time in the temple praying, fasting, sitting under wise teaching, and asking God to show him what to do. This idea of considered carries with it great weight. But yet when we perceive injustice happens to us, what is usually the case for us? Do we act calmly and considerately or do we act instantly and quickly? Often we jump first and ask questions later, don't we? Well, just as we're told that Mary, after the birth of Jesus and after she sees all the miracles converge upon her and upon her beautiful son, she ponders these things in her heart. We see Joseph here considering what actions must be taken. And I think, I got to believe he was at in the English idiom, at the end of his tether. God, I don't know what to do. This is beyond me. I don't get it. Maybe there's been times for you when you felt like, I don't understand why this is going on. I don't know what to do. And in those moments, do we step back? Do we prayerfully and carefully consider what God would have us do. I believe we can learn from the life of Joseph that it's not a long jump to say that he knew the law well and sought to be obedient to the Lord. He was called a righteous man. A righteous man would seek to obey the word of the Lord. But often what we do when we're confused with a problem is we instead, we go ask all our friends, right? And then we complain about what other people did to us and say how not fair it is, right? Matthew could have done that. He could have gone all over the place and said, can you believe Mary? Can you believe what she did to me? I'm I'm a good guy. Hey, I'm a righteous man. I've obeyed the law. Look around. Jerusalem is full of horrible people. That's why we live out in Nazareth because there's less Roman infection there because what you also see is a huge amount of syncretism in especially Jerusalem where the rich Jews of the day were taxing the poor people and moving them out of their own city because the corruption of the religious leaders of the wealthy of the leaders of the day was so great that they were worshiping false gods that they were taking matters into their own hands and saying, I've got a plan and in my expectations and my wants, just like we heard with Amy Carmichael, people were choosing to follow their wants rather than the Lord's. But we're told that Matthew, or, or that Joseph, a righteous man, a considerate, thoughtful man, was different. So what's he going to do? Well, it paints a big picture for us. He's of royal descent. He is a righteous man. He considers these things deeply and carefully. And then we find out when the angel comes to him, what does Joseph do? When Joseph woke up, well, let's back up. I want to read you a little more of the story. Because after he considered this, after he had carefully thought through things and made the decision that the best way to protect this, even Mary, is to divorce her quietly, the Lord, an angel of the Lord, appeared to him in a dream, and I'm in verse 20 right now, and said, Joseph, now get what comes next. 
son of David. Again, Matthew carefully including, you are of Davidic descent, of kingly lineage. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Oh, is that all? That's easy, right? Okay, good, great, got that. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this, I love that Matthew adds this, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew is now presented with some more information. He has heard from an angel of the Lord, but it's weird and it's difficult because now Matthew is invited to do one of two things. Just because he might believe what the angel had to say doesn't mean anyone else would. There's a famous book called The Scarlet Letter. Does anybody remember that? Where one was accused of impropriety and had to wear that scarlet letter around. Well, Matthew or Joseph would have done that. He would have carried a stigma of marrying an adulterer and carrying a chi- or raising a child that was not his own. Because you know what? People talk. We hear it all the time. And so Joseph is presented with this dilemma, not only one of justice and mercy, but one of, do I want to be the kind of guy that carries this sort of baggage with me? Do I really love Mary that much? Because infidelity was a much bigger deal then than sadly it is today. Today we even have websites. Uh, I heard an interview a few weeks ago. There's a website that was brought to Hong Kong that, that hooks people up that want to have affairs. And it's a way to do it in an open way so that everybody knows we're just going to have an affair. The, the sanctity of marriage has been so lost. Yet here, in this time and culture, this would have been a massively big deal. This would have meant Joseph is saying, I know he's not mine. And I know people are going to interpret this in a different way than it is. And so Joseph was presented with a choice. Will he obey the Lord in what God has directed? Or will he protect himself? Because none of us would probably fault a man like Joseph for saying, you know what, I'm going to get out and cut my losses while I still can. I'm going to protect myself because I don't want to be seen as a soiled reputation. But that's not what Joseph did. When Joseph woke up, notice there doesn't seem to be a pause there. Of He went around, he asked everybody else what they thought he should do after this dream. No, when Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. The very act of home going. The fact that their marriage was official. Now, interestingly, Matthew also tells us, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So while he brought Mary home and into the family and and his wife once and for all, He obeyed the Lord 
did not have union with her and supported her as she carried the Messiah, God, with us. Joseph was an obedient man. The cost to him personally would have been great. We like our reputations. And Joseph knowingly said, I'm much more concerned about what God thinks of me than what man might say about me. Don't miss this in this story. Joseph made the choice to say, I will obey the Lord. I will do what God says. God's ways are higher than man's ways. What's our story? What do we do with a story like this? This is the first Sunday of Advent, the hope Sunday, the hope of God with us. Matthew loves to point throughout his gospel account of two main characteristics of Christ. One, he is the Messiah, the King. And two, he is the very presence of God with us, Emmanuel. He repeats these themes throughout his telling of the Jesus story, the Jesus narrative. But what about us? You see, if we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've been adopted into His family, co-heirs with Christ. And that means we've got some questions. Have we made Christ our King? Matthew took great pains to make sure we understood that Joseph and therefore Jesus would be of royal descent that Jesus is indeed our King, our Savior, our Messiah. Do we treat Him that way? Then we look at the next question. Joseph was a righteous man. Do we follow what God tells us to do? Do we obey God's laws? Do we seek His Word and say, I will do what your word commands of me? Or or do we pick and choose and say, that one is too hard. That one is too uncomfortable or inconvenient, and I'm not going to do that. Do we seek to actively love our neighbors, even if they're hard to love? Do we say we will love the Lord our God with all of our very being? Or do we just give him a little bit here and there, what we call leftovers? You see, God invites us to give our very all back to him because he gave us his one and only begotten son. And we're invited to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. So will we follow God's ways? Will we follow his laws? The next question then, first you've got, is is Christ our king? Do we hold him there and do we worship him, our king? Second, will we follow his ways in righteousness? Because by the way, we can only act in righteousness according to the blood of Jesus Christ. You flip to the next part of the narrative. Jesus Christ bore our sins and has washed those who would believe upon him with his blood that we might be righteous and holy. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. And then when we're called to action, do we carefully and prayerfully measure our actions? Or do we react? 
What about us? When we're invited to take a step of faith, do we just say, no, it's too hard? When we're invited to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we say, well, that's for other people, not so much for me. When we know that loving our neighbor means reconciling with someone that we have a really hard time getting along with, do we prayerfully and carefully consider what God would have us do? And do we go before him on our knees and say, Lord, guide me. Because Jesus promised that he gave us one that would counsel us, that would teach us, that would guide us, and would convict us of our sins. That being the Holy Spirit. Do we consider how we may act? Empowered by the Lord, guided by Him. And finally, as we look to Him and as we consider what goes on in our life and we look at the the map of life before us and we say, God, where are you taking me? Will we obey Him? Even if it means going to India, like Amy Carmichael. Even if it means going to countries we may never have heard of or could pronounce or even if it means going to someone right next to you and say, hey, can we talk? Will we obey God? Will we look to his word and say, Lord, I will trust you. I will obey you. And I will do what you say. Because at the end of the day, Joseph had it out. He could have divorced his wife. He could have even made the accusation and had her stoned. And people wouldn't have even batted an eye at that. But instead, Joseph, a righteous man, a man of royal descent, considered carefully his actions and obeyed what God would have him do. What would God have you do today? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you gave us a character like Joseph, a seemingly simple man, but one that demonstrated when faced with your words, he chose to trust and obey you and took Mary as his wife and raised your son, Jesus. Lord, make us a people. that our righteousness is only found in you, washed by the blood of your Son, that we are careful and considerate with our actions and our words, that we worship you, our King, and, Lord, that we obey no matter what the cost because we understand there is no greater thing than following you. There is no greater way. In your name I pray. Amen.